G'day audience, welcome back. Um, I don't know what happened last week, I think my podcasting platform didn't upload it and I didn't realise until today, so sorry about that. So I'll just do a double episode so you get your, your free money's worth. So last week we talked, we like kind of revisited, because realistically we haven't talked about, you know, the financial statements for a while, probably like nine months. So this was just kind of a return to all that stuff and just the important stuff you need to know. Cause those things, they can be really daunting and big and complicated. So we're just going to go through the key things to look out for. And last week we talked about the income statement and kind of the things you want to look out for and what you should actually care about. And you can just kind of ignore the rest of the stuff. So we're going to continue with that and it will, again it will help make the spreadsheets make a little bit more sense because I'm sure a lot of you, you know, you look at the spreadsheets, scaffolds I've got and it's all a bit daunting, but we're going to we're going to get there, all right? It's been it's been a year, you know, we got we got another year ahead of us. We'll we'll keep at it. So the rest of the financial statements. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is you know, in the balance sheet section in the first kind of like 10 blocks of the spreadsheet, it's got, you know, cash and prepaid expenses and blah, blah, blah. And look, realistically, you don't need, I should have said this a while ago, but you don't need to fill out every single bit. The main things in the balance sheet you want to know is the cash, the debt, the total assets, the total total liabilities, and then the equity, which is just the total assets minus the total liabilities. That's all you really want to put in that top section. Don't worry about the rest. But like it, 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 and I would put in intangible assets as well because those intangible assets, remember, they're things that they're essentially the company buying other companies and how much excess they've spent on buying another company. So if you remember by accounting laws, if you buy a company that has that is just like a software platform okay it's got no physical assets and let's say it's total physical assets you know it's the amount of cash the company has and you know it's computers and it would be very low okay let's say it's a startup software company has pretty much no physical things other than their software platform and you want to buy this company because you think it's, you know, it's got a lot of potential. You buy it for, say, $10 million. But then when you add up all its assets by accounting rules, you add up its cash, you add up, it probably has no cash because it's a startup and it burns through all its cash as soon as it gets it. So it's got no cash, doesn't really have any physical goods, you know, might have some debt or whatever. You add all those things up and that's the what we call the book value of the company and so let's say you add up all those things the company has and on paper you know all its assets together are worth a million dollars let's say being very generous and you pay 10 million dollars that nine million dollar difference goes down as an intangible asset to the company that acquires it so it's good to look at intangible assets because it can tell you you know how much is this company spending on buying other companies etc the other things you want to look at is the amount of cash. And in, in the spreadsheet, it has cash and then has the cash column. So you put in the cash and then the percentage of assets. And the reason that's there is because 
you want to see the company's cash rising over time. And you'll be surprised, even these companies that, you know, are young and money losing, you can, you can accept, you know, a bit of a cash decline. But in the long run, you really want to see that cash as a percentage of their assets increasing as they expand and get more customers, blah, 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 and achieve closer to profitability. More importantly is the debt column. And it's got, again, it's got the debt column where you put in the number and then debt as a percentage of total liabilities. And you want to see the debt decline over time. The biggest red flag is to see the debt as a percentage of liabilities increase over time because it means the company is borrowing more and more debt. And we've talked in the past about how you borrow more debt, you have a higher you know, interest expense to pay on that debt, which means you owe more money each year, which can put you in this net. And then, you know, and that interest expense, the interest you have to pay on the debt each year takes reduces your overall cash in the pocket for the company, which may mean that you need to borrow more debt in the future. And it just becomes this spiral, which you just really don't want to be a part of. So those are the main things you want to look for there. The other reason you want to look at the cash and the debt and see that they're, you know, the debt as a percentage is decreasing and the cash as a percentage is preferably increasing is that there could it could be a sign that there's some what we call financial engineering going on, which is where the company can, you know, use its accounting and do some cheeky things to hide what's really going on. And so the main reason, so let's say you have a company that, you know, you calculate its free cash flow using, you know, net operating income times one minus the tax rate plus depreciation amortization minus the capex. That's how you calculate your free cash flow and you go, yep, this company is free cash flow positive, great. Then why is its cash decreasing and why is its debt increasing over time? There, There could be two reasons for that. The first reason is that the company is spending a lot on mergers and acquisitions. It's buying a lot of different companies and that's why its cash is decreasing and its debt is increasing. And you can see in the on the cash flow statement, so the first section is cash flows from operations. The second section is cash from investing activities. And that's where you've got your capital expenditures, your property and equipment, and your intangible assets. And that is also where you'll find acquisition of businesses. So one reason a company could be, you know, profitable, but decreasing cash, increasing debt is that they're buying lots of companies in the background and you don't notice that. And we've talked in the past about why that's bad. It usually means a company's run out of its own growth opportunities. When you buy other companies, usually paying a high premium to do that, especially in today's environment. So that could be one reason. The other reason could be this financial engineering stuff. And I'll explain what that means. Financial engineering, you know, there's lots of cheeky ways companies can do it, but they can essentially look profitable on that free cash flow equation. You know, they might be free cash flow positive and they might have a positive operating income, but they're actually losing cash. And the way you check that out is the other way. We talked about, I don't know, we've talked about it a few times in the past briefly, but remember the other way you can calculate free cash flow is you just get the operating cash. So you go to the cash flow statement, you go to the very bottom where it says net cash from operating activities. That's the operating cash flow. 
Okay, and you get the operating cash flow and you should then subtract the capex and subtract the stock-based compensation. And the reason you do that is because that is the actual free cash flow. Note how in that equation I just described, it's all cash-based things. It's all stuff from the cash flow statement, which, you know, you can't really lie about that because that's the actual movement of cash for the company. Cash flow from operation, net cash flow from operating activities minus the capex minus the stock-based compensation. That's another way you can calculate free cash flow. And it's good to do both. Use both free cash flow equations and make sure there's no discrepancy between the two because the other free cash flow equation that we use, the operating profit times one minus the tax rate, depreciation amortization minus capex, that is the operating profit and the depreciation amortization are accounting-based things, right? They're, They're done by accountants. Whereas this other equation is purely by cash and there's no accounting involved. They literally just sum up the movement of cash through the company for that year. And so what a company can do is they might look profitable on an accounting basis using that equation that we originally learned about, but it might be free cash flow negative on a cash basis. And you just want to make sure there's no discrepancy between those two. Now, I know on that note, in the past, you know, originally the full free cash flow equation, right, is operating profit times one minus the tax rate plus depreciation amortization minus the capex minus the change in operating assets and liabilities. I'll be honest with you, I don't use that. I know it's in the spreadsheets and hopefully I mentioned this in the past, but I don't really use the change in operating assets and liabilities too much because for each company, it'll pretty much be, and that change in operating assets and liabilities is the working capital. And the reason I think it's pointless is it fluctuates so much year to year and every company will tend to have the same percentage. It fluctuates a lot and it's just not very useful, essentially is what I'm trying to say. And so I just ignore that part. And a lot of people ignore that part and it's okay to ignore that part. But the reason you might want to use the other free cash flow equation that we talked about is because in the operating cash flows from, you know, or in the cash flows from operations, that accounts for all the working capital stuff, all those changes in operating assets and liabilities. That's baked into that already because it's calculated on the cash flow statement. So it's good to use those two just to make sure there's no big discrepancy. If there's a big discrepancy, you might need to just investigate a little further as to why there's a big discrepancy. To be honest, there's not that many companies with a big discrepancy anymore. But the main way there would be a big discrepancy is if you're not, if you're just flat out ignoring the capex. So a lot of companies could be profitable, you know, if you just look at the operating income, they might have a solid operating income, but then their capex is really, really high. And that's another kind of financial engineering because when it comes to capex, the rules are a little bit gray and a company can kind of manipulate them as they please. So let's say, you know, you're building a factory, you know, that's a capex. But there are some other things which, you know, it could be a capital expenditure, right? Something you buy and you build or you put, invest money into that should last multiple years. 
There are some things which could be that, a capex, or it could be an operating expense. And it's a little bit gray and you can kind of get away with it a lot. So essentially what I'm trying to say is use both those free cash flow equations. It won't, if you're, if you're having a panic attack as you haven't used both, it's okay, right? You're not going to get burned by it. The main, the main good thing about the cash-based free cash flow equation is that a lot of tech companies, the accounting works against them. So a lot of tech companies, they actually have a lot of, they actually get a lot more cash than they do report on the financial statements, the accounting method. So if you're looking at a tech company in particular, I would look at both equations because you might find that the cash-based free cash flow equation actually shows that the company's getting more cash than the accounting statement does. So that's the main reason I'd look at those two. And like I said, make sure you focus on the CapEx because a company might be profitable when you look at the operating income, but they might have such a big CapEx because, you know, they're cheekily putting all their expenses into the CapEx section instead of in the um, instead of as an operating expense. And so they might be free cash flow negative when you factor in that CapEx, but they might be profitable. All right, but again, don't stress because our free cash flow equation has the CapEx, which is much more important than the working capital. Another reason the working capital or the change in operating assets and liabilities isn't that important is because it's usually a small percentage of the cash, unless you're looking at big mining or infrastructure companies. That's where that's where you really need to look at the two. But if you remember, I said avoid mining. <laughs> avoid mining companies, avoid these big infrastructure companies because they're very complex and you really need to be quite a skilled accountant person to really interpret them. So that's why I'm saying if if you've just been doing what I've been saying so far, it's not a big deal because I've, you know, been your guardian, guardian angel in the background and strategically pushed you away from the things where our approach might not work as well. So those are the main things you need to look at. Those are some other things. A few other things that we need to look at is what's called... We're going to talk about operating leverage and scale. So operating leverage is exactly as it sounds. It's a lever. Imagine a company has a lever and when this essentially what operating leverage means is that their profits lever as their sales change. So a company with low operating leverage means that if sales go up 5%, its profits will go up 5%. If sales go down 5%, its profits will go down 5%. That's a company which has very little leverage, operating leverage. A company with big operating leverage is a company where if their sales go up 5%, their profits might go up 30%. But if their sales go down 5%, their profits will also go down 30%. And that's why, and so companies with a lot of operating leverage are usually those companies that are big infrastructure investments and they really need to utilize that infrastructure to its max capacity 
to, to, to be successful. And so the best example of this is airlines. Okay, obviously COVID completely killed the airline industry. But what you'll find is that even when the airlines only run at 50% capacity, right? So airline sales drop 50%, their profits will drop way more than 50%. And if airlines, you know, if their sales drop 75%, their profits will drop even more. But even even more minutely is if airlines don't completely maximize their, their planes, for example, and their sales drop 5%, their profits will drop by more than 5%. But the same goes true in the opposite direction. If if they get more capacity out of their planes, then a 5% jump in sales will lead to outsized profits, more than 5% profit. So that's operating leverage. And that's why you have to be careful. So if you looked at the airlines before the pandemic hit, they were all on free cash flow multiples of like 9x, which looks cheap. But what was embedded in that, what's embedded in that valuation is that if things go badly, they get pumped, which is what we saw with the pandemic. So again, just in general, I avoid these big infrastructures, mining, oil, airlines, all those companies that have big infrastructure investments and they need to maximize the capacity out of those investments. They're very, they're high risk, high reward. They can swing really big and I don't know, I just, don't like and they're usually like airlines are quite reliable right it took a pandemic to pretty much shut down the airline industry but other than that airlines are pretty reliable whereas things like mining and stuff that rely on commodity prices fluctuating you know that operating leverage can changes every day and it's far too complicated for me so that's operating leverage and you know tech companies like a software company that we've talked imagine a software company you know you and a couple of friends you invest all this money into building this software, millions of dollars into building this software. You need to buy the technology, make the software. You need the, I don't even know how you build a software, but it's it's a lot of upfront investment, okay? And then once you've built the software, you can then sell it. And it doesn't really cost you that much to sell the software anymore, right? You just give people access to it. And so that is I guess operating leverage as well. All the all the investment is fixed. You've already you've already put all the money into it and then as your sales grow, your cost doesn't grow with the sales. And so, you know, a 20% increase in sales will lead to more than a 20% increase in profits because your operating expenses aren't a, a very minimal because you've already built the thing. Now, this is different to the airlines because as the airlines grow, if the airlines want to grow their sales 5% and most, you know, you could argue that they just need to make their things more efficient, but they're already at 100% efficiency. So if an airline wants to grow its sales 5%, it needs to buy 5% more planes to facilitate that. Whereas with these software companies, if they want to grow their sales, yeah, they could add on products that, you know, cost a bit to make, but it's not the same. You know, if, 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 if a tech company wants, if this software company wants to increase its sales, they'll need to spend a bit on advertising and marketing, whatever, but it won't be as much invested as the amount of return they get. And so essentially what I'm trying to say here is big infrastructure companies, they have operating leverage up and down, whereas 
these software companies and tech companies tend to only have operating leverage up. They only kind of go upwards. You know, if their sales fall 20%, well, their costs didn't really match that, so they won't fall by 20%. So that's a reason why investors love software and tech and stuff like that. So that's pretty much it for this week. Those are the new things to kind of look at. I know this was this episode was kind of boring, but that that should wrap up everything we need to know. We shouldn't have to come back to the financial statements for another year, as I promised a year ago. We wouldn't come back to them ever. I lied. Had to come back to them at some point. You're a fool if you thought otherwise. No, I'm just joking. That should be it. So the main takeaways are, you want the cash as a percentage of assets to be increasing. If it's not, maybe it's a young company losing money. You can excuse that. If it's a profitable company, you need to go, why is the cash decreasing? Why is the debt? Why is the cash decreasing? Why is the debt increasing? Then you need to look at, you know, maybe they're buying a lot of companies that I didn't look at, or maybe their accounting's a little bit cheeky. And so you want to be looking at both free cash flow formulas. The original one that we've learned from Day Dot, ignore the, ignore the change in operating assets and liabilities. It gets too complicated. And then this, the new equation, which is the operating cash flow, net operating cash flow minus CapEx minus stock-based compensation. Make sure you include the stock-based compensation. Otherwise, you're giving the company free money, which is BS. Other thing, key takeaway, essentially avoid the big infrastructure companies or if you're going to go into them, learn more accounting on YouTube or something because even that stuff is way over my head. And just be careful when you're looking at those companies, they might look cheap, but there is a chance that you know the industry is actually in a downturn and they have big operating leverage and so a 10% change in, I don't know, oil prices will lead to a big change in the company's profits. And, you know, it might be, it might still be a buying opportunity. You might go, oh, well, you know, the normal oil prices, blah, blah, blah. So this is a good opportunity. Regardless, just make sure you're thinking about these things. And then, as always, make sure you're looking at the free cash flow. Very rarely should you make an investment based purely on the operating profit or the net operating profit after tax because a company can have a big capex that you're ignoring and it will burn you a good example of that is freedom food group everyone would always go oh wow it's so cheap on a profits basis you know look at the pe ratio it's it's only at 20x but what they didn't realize was that the company was spending heaps on capital capital expenditures every year for five, six years, and so it was always free cash flow negative deeply. It was constantly raising money in the background. No one noticed. Its cash levels were constantly going down. Its debt levels were constantly going up, and then eventually it blew up. The company almost went broke, and you know the stock fell 90%. So just be weary of all that stuff, and that will be the last boring financial statements-based thing we talk about. I will see you next week. Bye.